Something's going on in our culture. A new generation is gender confused. They're anxious, isolated, and looking for acceptance. Searching for identity, and some are turning to the transgender movement to find it. While some celebrate the movement, others are concerned that gender-affirming care causes irreversible damage. The trans phenomenon reminds us that we're all searching for an identity, but we will never know who we are until we know whose we are. That's why Jesus came. He came to transform us so we can find our true identity in Him. Welcome back to the Post-Sermon Reflections podcast. We are so grateful for you guys joining us for our second sermon of the Transformed series. I am here with Elizabeth and Kathleen, two awesome women that I love going to church with and I look up to and respect. Um, Kathleen is Pastor Brennan's wife. Um, Elizabeth is also the mother of two children, a faithful member and servant of this church. Um, I am really excited to join in this conversation. We're going to have this conversation from the perspective of mothers um, and women who are committed to raising their kids to love Christ as best they can. Um, and I, yeah, I'm just excited. So we're hopping right in. We're going to start with what sermon text did we focus on today? So Kathleen's going to give us a recap um, and we're going to start rolling. Hi, good afternoon, good morning, good evening. I'm not sure when you're listening, you but it. we hope that uh, you enjoy it. Um, this morning, Pastor Brennan talked through uh, a few verses in Genesis chapter one about uh, starting in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then verse 27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And the idea that God created male and female in his own image. And both of those um, manifestations of his creation are good. And he blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply. And this was all part of God's good plan. So um, yeah. Yeah. We're seeing that it is God's good design the way he made us, that there is beauty in being male and there is beauty in being female. And in the conversation of transgenderism, it's important for us to define terms and define what did God design for us? And then what has sin tried to rob from all of us? And so as we're landing there, I want to hear your guys' personal takeaways. Kathleen, what is your takeaway from the sermon? My personal takeaway after hearing just the cultural influences that contribute towards the transgender movement was that as parents and as families, we do hold a lot more influence than we ne we think we do in that the family unit is its own culture. So if the United States of America can influence your child as a general culture, um, that as a family, when your children are living in your home and under your roof, um, there's tremendous time and power for influence um, in really an empowering way as a parent and not that you can control a child, but just that, hey, you know what, if school or friends can influence a child, but I'm a parent. So how much more influence do I have over my children? Mm, that's so good. That's so good. Elizabeth, what about you? My personal takeaway was just um, doing some research while Brendan was talking as he was talking about the demographic of the youth that are um, disproportionately affected by transgenderism. Um, I looked up this guy, Walt Heyer, and he actually was a man who transitioned to a woman and he lived as a woman for eight years. He um, completed surgery, 
Um, and then he detransitioned back and he's written a lot on this topic. And one of the things that he argues for is that um, children who are open to transgenderism or go the path of trying to actually transition, they have a high frequency of what the social workers like to call ACEs, which is adverse childhood experiences. And so that can be as normalized as divorce, um, having an alcoholic parent, and it can be as terrible as sex abuse, bullying, Mm -hmm. um, all that. And that he basically makes the argument that that trauma and mental health is not dealt with properly and that people try to put a label on it with just gender dysphoria. Mm. Yeah. I thought it was so interesting what Brennan said, Pastor Brennan said about um, dysphoria, like body dysphoria. We don't acknowledge, we don't um, say that's true, but as soon as you put gender on it, you are allowed to prescribe yourself to a doctor and he gives you what you want, which is, you know, puberty blockers, sex hormones, surgery, um, and just the significance of that and just the age group that is being focused on with this movement. Yeah, yeah. I think back to when I was in middle school and all the things that I did that were so crazy and my focus was just myself, my pain, everything was internalized through my experience and you feel lonely, you feel like you want acceptance. Yeah. And if I had the influences of social media and just the acceptance of um, possibly changing my identity, mm-hmm. um, I would have been open to that as well. Just- yeah. Yeah. Just this morning on the car ride to church, my children were asking me about tattoos and how old you have to be. And I'm telling them all the reasons why they're not a good idea. Uh, but it's just struck me how, oh my goodness, we're telling children you can't get a tattoo which is really something relatively insignificant. A drop in the bucket. In in terms of it's not altering your body um, in a way that's affecting your reproduction. Um, And yet we're allowing these same children who aren't allowed to make a choice about getting a picture on their body, but you are allowed to make a choice about permanent damage to your uh, organs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The... I don't want to quote Walt Heyer directly, but I'm going to um, because he said, and I thought it was so timely with the sermon, the issue is not a gender misassignment at birth. The true concern is a broken core identity. Mm. And just we're treating the symptom instead of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, in the book transgender that the church went through altogether. They just talked about, there was a, the, one of the first gender reassignment, like, huge surgical units, one of the guys that was running it, like, went away from the movement and was like, I do not believe that I am helping mental health. Like, I believe that I am just, like, saying yes to what the patient wants, but it's ultimately not for the patient's good, and I'm ad-libbing this pretty badly. But it's just important that we're recognizing what's happening in the midst of our culture um, with gender-affirming care um, and that Christians have to speak to gender affirming care of why is this ultimately not good? Why would we treat um, a girl who's struggling with anorexia who says that she's fat differently than we would treat a girl who's saying that she wants to be a boy and believes that she should be a boy um, and calling out those uh, discrepancies with grace, recognizing that there is great challenge for girls struggling with anorexia. There is great challenge. We don't say that to her in a mean way. 
but we meet her where she is and we try to reconcile her mind to the fact of the reality of her body um, because that's what our culture has flipped. We're asking what's happening in our mind. We now need to change our bodies to say yes to what's happening in our mind. And that's not God's design. And we all do this to an extent. Like we search after things that are going to make us happy. You know, they're going through the path of puberty blockers, sex hormones, ultimate surgery. And like Pastor Brennan said, they have high rates of suicide even after transitioning, yeah. which is what was supposed to make them feel yeah. like themselves or happy or accepted within the world. Yeah. Like we're ultimately all searching for something. And you guys can think of the stages of life that you're in right now. You're seeing some moms who are like, all they want to do is have perfect kids and be a perfect mom. And they're doing anything they can. And if their kids don't turn out well, it causes like an immense distress. It causes all this anger and all this bitterness. And we think of people who say, I'm just going to put everything into my work because like if I make my work my identity and I'm successful at this and like I matter. And so all people are susceptible to this thought process. And it just takes to different extents because our sin nature says you need to find something inside yourself that makes you valid and real. And the blessing of Pastor Brennan's takeaway that we have to find our identity in Christ is that there's like a good answer. And so as you guys are thinking about talking to your sons and your daughters about finding their identity in Christ, what is some just like practical advice or challenges you'd have for parents? One thing that I'm constantly thinking through and discussing with other people, my children are in the public school and I know what we're instructing at home. I know we have intentional discipleship, intentional relationship building, but I wonder at the long-term effect of the normalization that's happening over the course of the school day. So for instance, in New Jersey, the third grade health curriculum now teaches that sex is what you're born with and gender is what you choose. So from my third graders on up this year, we opted out of health class because there were various um, topics like that or over-sexualized topics that um, we didn't want taught by the schools. And I'm just regularly assessing it, what's happening with the normalizations in the school and is the family culture strong enough to battle it? Where's the line if there is one, which I believe there is, of course. Um, and then at what point would you, um, you know, have to change your uh, school culture? So I think for us in terms of identity in Christ and seeding those um, those anchors in the children as they are growing, it's um, helping them see that what's around them is not, you know, maybe it's normalized by culture, but this isn't normal to God. This yeah. isn't what he created. Um, you know, of course, the fall happened, and so sin enters the world. Um, and so how do we, just because other people do it, doesn't mean that it's okay mm -hmm. with us or with God. Um, and so trying to help them see like certain aspects of life are a battle to recognize spiritual warfare um, and really understand that this world is not our home mm -hmm. ultimately. And that's a lesson I'm battling daily, yeah. you know, with whether yeah. it's attachment to material things or um, whatever issue I might be struggling with. So I think that's really what's like heavy on me right now with the children 
ages five through 12 is just how do we battle the cultural normalization of something and really plant within them and ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit to just um, overcome those strong cultural currents. Yeah. Like almost teaching your kids to call out what is not God's design Um, and not in a way that's harsh or that is unkind, but saying like, if you feel uneasy about this and like you've seen, you've searched God's word and you see that this is not his intention, that it's good that we feel a sensitivity towards it to say, man, I pray that that person is like drawn to Christ. Cause ultimately our reconciliation to Jesus is what is best of obviously it is not good for kids to um, desire to be the opposite gender, but more than just wanting them to find home in their biological gender, it's for them to find home in the person of Jesus who they were like meant to be reconciled to. Cause that's where our, all of our identity becomes reconciled to what we were meant in the midst of like this broken world. Um, Elizabeth, what about you? One thing I want to my girls to experience is just a high level of self-esteem. I want them to know who they are. I want them to know they are Christ. I want them to know they are loved by their parents. I want them to know that they can come home and say whatever they're experiencing, that we can talk through anything. And I think that is how we battle some of this culture. It's just like, I'm hearing this at school, but my parents don't say this is right. And I know I can talk to them about anything. I know you know, someone made me uncomfortable. I can go and tell my parents. And just protecting my girls through the strength of my marriage by just showing them what this looks like lived out. Um, And obviously not perfectly, but just going back to that point of your family and a supportive family environment protects you from a lot of pain. Um, It protects you from abuse and neglect. It protects you from experiencing divorce, um, loss. It's not going to protect you from everything, but it's going to give you a almost like a blueprint of what this should look like. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And I um, sat through a seminary class on marriage and family, and the professor really emphasized how marriage is a depiction of the Trinity because, you know, like we have in Genesis 1, that male and female, God created them. This is a good thing. And then, you know, the cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so what you're saying you know, it's like you set up this defense and the defense is a healthy marriage. And um, so when you see, when children can see, wow, when the Bible says that this is good, I can see it as good. And sadly, um, many of our children um, in the church, outside of the church, don't, they can't see that because of life circumstances. So as Christians, you know, it's our job to say, hey, maybe your dad didn't reflect Christ or didn't know the Lord or mom or both, or they did, but there was so much dysfunction there that you couldn't see God's goodness. And so we're pointing these children um, or now adults, you know, towards a good God and say, hey, the design there is good. Um, and so Lord willing, a cycle can be broken, but, um, I really like what you said about the marriage being such a good insulator for the family. Yeah. Another great defense, which I cannot take any credit for, but my husband has taught my oldest, who's going to be three in September scripture. And she's reciting John one through three. It's barely understandable, (laughs) but it is so sweet what kids can know. And just teaching them that the Bible is what we look to to dictate our lives, not the culture. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you're going to be, you're fighting against everything. Mm -hmm. You're fighting against the culture. You're fighting against the own, your own sin. And so if you are here and you're like, my marriage does not feel strong or I have had divorce or there is always room for God's will to come into your life. There's always, there's nothing that cannot be redeemed and restored. And so please hear a call for repentance. Um, please hear that if you're saying, man, my marriage is not doing well, go and get the help that you need. Get the resources that you need. Um, we know it really marriage really matters at our church. And so seek out an elder um, if you are struggling and you, you need insight um, because we want you to know that we care for marriages and we want to see them growing and we want to see families in homes where kids are being cared for because mom and dad love each other and mom and dad are pouring into that relationship so that children can be cared for in a loving and honoring way. Yeah. Um, for you guys, what's an encouragement that you would have for men and women who are thinking about this topic or maybe their kids are asking questions? What's some encouragements that we can, we can give to, to our listeners? One thing I would say is that, um, we as parents have more influence than we think. We're not helpless. And of course, we know the Lord chooses his people and that um, we cannot save our children, even if we want to try. Um, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that will ultimately bring a child to salvation. But at the same time, I think I see a lot of parents acting like they can't do anything to mm. change the situation. And it starts young. I remember walking out to a parking lot with another family and their child was probably two and they were giving them the choice about whether or not to hold their hand in a parking lot. And I just think as a parent, you don't give a two-year-old a choice whether to hold hands in the parking lot. Um, you pick them up, you hold their hand, you put them in a stroller. Um, I think very early on, the parenting culture has swung so far on the pendulum where it was overbearing and domineering. And now we've gone to so passive and so permissive. We're so afraid of offending our child or not having a relationship or not being their friend. And ironically, that's ruining the relationship. Yeah. Um, and so I think just understanding that God commands, you know, parents all throughout the Proverbs in specific ways, um, and that he chose you to parent the, par parent the children in your care, whether that's foster children, grandchildren. If they're in your care, God has ordained that, um, and that you have influence. You have life experiences, um, positive or negative, yeah. that the Lord and the Holy Spirit can use to influence the children's lives so that, as Elizabeth said, when they walk in the door, they feel comfortable sharing something with you um, that might be extremely uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I had one of my children come home this year and say um, one of their classmates was gay. And it was a great opportunity to talk through, okay, why are you saying that? What was said in school that makes you say that? Um, and help equip that child to say, hey, how can we be loving and kind to this classmate while also recognizing that this is not what the Lord designed for us? Yeah, that's so good. So good. I think that's a great point. I love your emphasis on teaching your children to be kind no matter what the other students are going through because that's really reflecting the heart of Christ towards those other students. One of the encouragements that I found during the sermon um, that Pastor Brennan mentioned is just getting your kids involved in the community of Christ. Like 
that is so important for their growth, for their finding their identity in Christ. Um, I just, I can't imagine not having a strong church backing me in my parenting to have a place to also send them where they can experience the love as well. Yeah. Yeah. The statistics about um, children having sticky faith, which is from childhood to adulthood, um, it says that it takes five adults um, in a child's life to help care for them alongside of their parents, that we want a great cloud of witnesses <laughs> that are pointing to the reality of who Jesus is. Um, people that are coming alongside parents and saying like, what your parent is saying is true because it's from God's word and like it should be honored right. and like your parents ultimately love you. In this moment, you may not feel loved by them because we know that kids are going to rebel. We know that there's there's a kicking against the goads that all teenagers experience, um, but saying like, wow, there's people who I can talk to who love Christ, who are going to point my kids back to Jesus and ultimately back to me of like me. I have the experience of being um, a person who works with children in our church and I get to partner with parents by saying like, I'm for you. I'm for your family. And I want your kids to see you as like a primary voice in their life and say, hey, no, mom and dad, like they're right in this. Like you should, you should honor the things that they're saying. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's such a joy to get to see kids ask good questions. I sat out, out in the lobby today talking to kids about being a boy and being a girl and how God created um, us for his purpose, for his reason. Um, I loved in the sermon when he talked about, I think it's Tim Keller in like when we are looking in Genesis and God doesn't tell us why he makes male and female. There's an aspect that we're going to just trust him um, and trust me because I love you. And I think there is this reality of like, there are plenty of questions we have about God and his design. There are plenty of insecurities we have about the things we struggle with. And to say like, in the things that I don't understand, I'm going to obey you because I trust you. Like ultimately you have my yes and I love you. Um, and I think it's obey me because you love me. And I think that like trust is the underbelly of that, that I trust that God's intentions towards me are good, even though my feelings may be counterintuitive to them, even though I may have some real doubt that lives in my brain about how I'm experiencing life right now. Um, and I think that works the same way with parents and how God designed it, that you want your kids to say, maybe, mom, I don't even necessarily like this boundary that you yeah. set up, but I know my mom loves me. And that's from having a relationship built um, and trust built um, where there's a foundation where a child could rebel or uh, actively or want to, but ultimately know, okay, this might stink, but I know my parents want the best for me. Yeah. I'm just curious for you guys, when spending quality time with your kids, what does that look like? If you're, if there's parents that are like, I feel like I'm just like doing the work of taking care of my kids. What is moments where you get to pull back and have just some sweet moments with your kids? I love my kids one-on-one. -on -one. Together, they're kind of ganging up on me, but one-on-one <laughs> <laughs> is really special. Um, I find for my oldest a really special time, which usually isn't my responsibility, is my husband's, but when I get the chance, I love it, is putting my oldest to bed. I feel like they want to talk about the whole day. They want to recap. They want to sing songs. Uh, she likes to pray. She likes to quote her scripture. And um, it's a really special time. Mm, that's so good. I think 
bedtime is probably universally a really unique and special time. And I read a child psychologist who I highly would recommend. Um, Drop the name. Dr. Kevin Lehman. Oh, we'll love it. Christian who writes a lot of great That's parenting awesome. books. But he talks about as parents, we need to be ready and that he jokes that teenagers usually like talking at like 11 o'clock at night when you're ready to go to bed. But um, you can see it happening already as their kids that taking the time each night going in with them um, individually and just checking in about their day and praying with them, especially if you've had a crazy day, um, whether it's working or spent spending time doing other things um, to just regroup. Um, I also find that my older ones use it as a time to share things that might be really bothering them or upsetting. Mm -hmm. They'll cry um, about something that happened or something that was said to them. Um, More than that, you know, a lot of parenting books talk about doing one-on-one dates. Mm -hmm. And these things don't have to be all-day affairs or expensive. It can be small things. We've done simple things like grab a popsicle and we'll go walk a couple blocks together. Or we just went on vacation. So we rotated the kids through uh, dates to do different things. Go, you know, buy a box of candy at the little five and 10 store that's still down the shore or whatever it might be. Um, But it's a fight because life is busy. And I would also say that Satan uses busyness um, to destroy families. And it doesn't have to be divorce. Um, It could just be by sucking the life and energy where it gets to be nighttime and you're, okay, forget devotions. We're all too tired. You know, it happens subtly like that. And not that, you know, of course we give ourselves grace. We can't have these perfect days Mm -hmm. all the time. But if we're running around from activity to activity, we're outsourcing parenting pretty much all day. And then by the time you maybe have them, you're exhausted too. And so just stepping back even as a family and saying, hey, like what limits do we have to have um, here? What boundaries can we put in so that we have family dinner? Focus on the family often quotes a statistic, which of course I cannot recite, but um, teen rebellion increases with lack of family dinner, where having family dinner uh, decreases like rebellious activity. So we use family dinner as a very intentional group time to do um, memory verse, like Bible verses. We'll read devotions. Um, what a person in our Bible say they gave us a would you rather kids book. And that's great. It's like this icebreaker. Yeah. And then we go into devotions. Um, so just really being intentional and not letting life happen to us, but saying, hey, we need to regroup here mm. and focus on our spiritual um states because yeah. if something happened to us tomorrow on our ride home from church or work or school like what's happening to yeah. us yeah and i can attest as someone who had christian parents who i believe invested a lot of time into like i remember my dad daughter dates that i went on and all of us as kids like spent one on one time with our mom it's her preferred style of love <laughs> And so it was both for us and for her. Um, But just like the relationship we got to cultivate with our parents that really did build trust um, and did build a place of like, as an adult, even when I'm struggling now, I I say, all right, I want to talk to my parents. I want to to reach out and have a relationship with them. That's great. Um, And yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it to commit to that relationship um, and to be the kind of parent that says, I want my kids to know me and I want to know my kids. Um, and I want to have a house that like 
family dinners is an expectation and that we get to see each other in the face. And I imagine that eight people around a kitchen table is chaotic. That absolutely it's not it's not this like picture 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 perfect thing. But there's moments where your kids are yelling at each other and they're losing their minds and they think that one of the answers to would you rather stupid and they're making fun of that kid and you're experiencing the reality of like that's what family is. I'm still trying to figure out if we can should boot kids from devotions. <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. How does it work to not allow a kid to be a part of it because they're too much? You're too much. That's hilarious. Uh, when you come to those conclusions, we'll bring you back for the podcast to see how you landed on that. Um Ladies, it's been such a joy to have you. I want to pray uh, for those who are listening. Um, and ultimately, we're so grateful that Jesus is the answer. Um, it feels really cliche, but ultimately, he is our definer. Um, and I think the the beauty of one of the takeaways from this sermon is that an achieved identity is both unstable and crushing. Um, and that like, as Christians, we don't have to be achievers because Christ achieved everything on our behalf and we can just receive the identity that he bestowed upon us, that we are sisters of Christ sitting here together, encouraging one another because of what Jesus has done. And there's beautiful victory in that. Um, and so if you don't know Jesus, um, we would encourage that you would talk to someone who you know does um, because he cares for you and he's reaching out to you and he wants you to know him. Liz, will you open us in prayer? And Kathleen, will you close us? Yes. Father, we thank you uh, for this time that we got to spend together. We thank you for your truth and that you left us the word of God that we can look to. We thank you for our families. We thank you for our church family. We just pray for everyone in our midst who's struggling with this topic. Um, it's not easy to talk about. It can be uncomfortable, but we thank you that you've provided us guidance on it. And we thank you that uh, you've given us the tools to love those in our midst. And we pray that you would just um, bless everyone listening to this podcast right now. And Lord, we just pray for courage because this is a scary world. It's a scary future. We can paralyze ourselves with fear, um, especially as parents or people who care for children and the next generation. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to feel your Holy Spirit's power, Lord, that we don't have to be helpless, Lord, that you can equip us. And even if we are in the midst of a very fiery trial, Lord, that we know that you will pull us through. We can't do it on our own strength. Um, I just pray that we would lean on you and um, use all these trials for our glory, your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we ask that you would join us for Laura Perry's testimony, someone who experienced li living as a transgender man and has detransitioned and is honoring Jesus with her life. That is on July 29th from 6 to 730. Thank you again for listening. We're so excited um, for you to hear this. Bye.